0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Intern Investing. I'm Connor here with Jamie, and we're going to be talking about everything inflation. We're going to be talking about a blog post that I wrote this morning about how to find high quality e-commerce companies. Um, So let's go ahead and and kick it into gear talking about inflation. Some big news came out today, and that is that the consumer price index is up eight and a half percent year over year. Uh, and so what this means is last time, uh, last time it was, it was 4 2021. 2021 it's up eight eight 8.5% since then. So this is a really large increase. This is talking about everything energy, um, you know, a, a lot of your consumer spending products like groceries uh, and energy uh, costs like like heating and cooling um, in your house, which would go into energy, I guess, Um so all these prices are up a lot and this is being driven primarily by energy prices. Uh, as everybody knows, gas prices are up a lot. Um, you know, when I go to fill up my truck these days, I struggle to find a gas station that I can fill up from zero to a hundred percent, uh, for less than a hundred dollars. It's, it's extremely expensive and that's partly because I drive a truck and it's partly because, um, I drive a gas guzzling truck that, you know, holds a lot of gallons of gas, but, um, It's, it's painful on me. Uh, So what is, I I guess, I guess I'm asking, you know, Jamie, what's, what's something uh, inflationary that's affected
1: you? Um, you I mean, gas, gas has definitely affected me not, um, you know, definitely not to the same extent as you Connor, I drive a a Honda Civic that gets 34 miles a gallon, not Mm. to brag. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm in and out in under 40, um, which, which, which is good for me. Um, but no, there, there was actually an interesting article that I read from, um, from Adobe. Uh, they were, uh, they polled um, in, in March uh, the, the prices of airline tickets. Um, I, I just wrote about this tonight. Um, and they, they noticed that um, the price of a, of a airline ticket increased 28%. Um, and, and this is compared to bookings only growing 12%. Now it's, you know, somewhat of a, of a flawed indicator, but bookings are um, planned to um, fly in the future, whereas airline ticket sales in March were up 28%. But it still shows a general trend um, that the, the actual activity of booking an airline is only up slightly or is, or is up marginally, but the actual price of a airline ticket is up substantially more. And so what does that mean? Not only are our consumers looking to to be more active and, and travel more, but it also is, is a result of an impact of um, inflation and basically the same thing, um, higher fuel prices for these jets. Um, because you know, if if it, there was no inflation, no the, the, the gas prices were the same, theoretically the um, the increased activity would result in the same price increase in in ticket sales. Um, but it, but that's not the case. We see airline ticket sales at twenty eight percent. And bookings only at twelve percent, and so I mean it, it, it's not necessarily affecting me personally. I'm a college kid. I don't necessarily have have money to spend on a on a nice vacation somewhere. <laughs> but um, it, it, it's definitely showing that inflation is um, in, impacting uh, the the world really every, everywhere around us. And I I, I want to make sure that that uh, v- viewers know that the. CPI, the Consumer Price Index, is basically a basket of stocks that have been arbitrarily – excuse me, a basket of um, goods that have been arbitrarily picked um, and and that that somebody believes – um, accurately represents the average American um and in, in, in what they spend their money on. So obviously, it will include um you know specific grocery items like milk or something like that. It will include gas prices, things like that. But honestly, it, it's not the um most accurate indicator of actual inflation. This is just a proxy for actual inflation. and the 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 trends that that have um, I, I always been, think of
0: it. I always think of the CPI as things people hate to spend money on.
1: Exactly, exactly. Groceries. It's very very inelastic goods. They they don't change with 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 prices increasing. It's things you need um every 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 week or month or so. Um and so basically all all of that to say is that the CPI it tracks inflation, but um historically inflation, true inflation has actually been higher than the CPI. Um, so, you know, this, this has been true as we've seen the CPI continue to increase. Um, but, but it is worth noting and worth keeping in mind that true inflation, actual inflation that we're seeing, although there's not a specific number on it right now, it is likely higher than 8.5% right now.
0: It it could potentially be. And I will add that <clears throat> inflation is different for everybody. When people say that inflation's at 8.5% year over year, or it's up 8.5%, it, it could be for you. Um, it could be up twenty percent for me i I drive a lot uh it, it could be up a lot for me and so it 's different for every single person. This is just like you said an arbitrary decision to to choose certain goods uh and kind of base what inflation is doing on, on those certain items um, but I do want to talk about what this what this has made me think about is as we personally are Our income statements, um, our profitability personally, our margins, I guess you could say we're taking in the same revenue unless, unless you've gotten a wage increase, we're taking in the same revenue every single day or every single two weeks, whenever you, you you know, you get your money, uh, that's your revenue. And then you put out your expenses and our expenses and costs are continuing to go up and our margins are shrinking and shrinking as far as how much you can save, how much you can invest, um. But you know whose margins are not shrinking. And that is businesses. Those are corporations. Uh, th- those, Jamie, can you pull that chart up and scroll up? Um, here, I, I'll, I'll get this real quick. Just, just scroll all the way to the top of that. I think it's the second chart um, under, yeah, right down. Um, so this chart for everybody listening, uh, for, for those watching, you can see this on YouTube. Uh, but for those listening, Basically, this chart is showing a spike in operating margins uh, from the end of 2020 to present day, and and, and what I take away from this is businesses are, are are experiencing the same cost increases that we personally are. You know, they have higher fuel prices, they're paying workers more, um, but their margins aren't getting hit. And the reason for this, I think, uh, is the fact that with the internet these days, everybody's got inflation on their mind. Um, you pull up, you know, j- just if you pull up Google, there's a chance that that an uh, um, article uh, about inflation will pop up on your computer. Everybody's talking about a social media, Twitter. It's everywhere. It's probably on billboards. And so everyone's thinking about inflation, and this has benefited businesses. Uh, and I think it's given them a little bit more pricing power because they can kind of just Take all of those increased costs and, and, and pass them on to consumers like us, and they can do that a lot easier because everyone's got inflation on their mind. So if Walmart raises the price of chicken by seventy five percent, you know that's that's part of it. That's not Walmart's fault. You know that's just inflation. That's the economy's fault. That's that's what's on people's minds, and so there's not a lot of pushback. To some of these increased uh, increased prices in in certain goods, and so I think that's uh, also elevating inflation even higher. Uh, So the more we talk about inflation, potentially the more uh, inflation continues on. So those are just some thoughts of mine. But this this chart shows why it's so important to invest in businesses because your margins are shrinking, but business margins are not as a whole. This is S&P 500. So uh, as a whole, most corporations, most businesses, their margins are continuing to go up. So that's why you have to invest in businesses because yes, Walmart is passing off their higher cost to you, to me, but what can you do in turn invest in Walmart? I'm not saying Walmart's a great investment. I'm not invested in Walmart personally, but I am saying that that, is an important thing to do is to invest your money uh, at times like this in companies that have pricing power which i think more and more companies are seeing that they they do have some pricing power
1: yeah just just to reiterate what connor said because it's 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 great the money that we are making um you know if 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 you know i have five thousand dollars in a bank account that sits there no matter what the the cpi or inflation rate that sits there and i get you know maybe 0.02 percent or what have you um and so that'll sit there no matter what inflation does. Um, but that that's not the case with with companies. They're they're able to to reinvest past those that that inflation onto onto customers. And as, as a result, um, their their margins can continue to increase. And we we've seen this, this spike, like Connor, Connor mentioned, right in right in late 2020, um, this, this little this little jump. Um, and so this this really illustrates the the importance of, of investing in, in stocks during an inflationary period. We if we have cash, it won't do anything with with inflation. Whereas if we invest in, in high quality businesses that are, are have pricing power and are able to um, you know deflect uh, rising costs onto consumers, we're actually able to to take advantage of of this inflation and and benefit from it, or at least not get as damaged as it would be if it was just in cash.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Scroll down to those charts and tell me a little bit about uh, what you were talking about with the IT sector.
1: Yeah, I would. I would love to. So um, I I just want to preface this, um, kind of explain what this is. This is from Yardeni Research. It's a it's a it's a great um, you know research center, and it talks about um, th- this this whole um, paper has been talking about profit margins. And so um, we can see here. This is the S and P operating profit margin for for the trailing uh, trailing twelve months in in a percentage. And so this blue line, which is replicated in all of these in specific. Um, sectors is the S&P. And then the red, for example, let's let's look at healthcare here. The red is um, the healthcare industry or healthcare sectors profit margin. And so what I want to focus on here is the information technology, the technology sector, um, this one right over here on the right. Let me um, increase this for, there we go. Not perfectly in the middle, but that will suffice. And um, I, I, I kind of want to, to just Illustrate one thing we've we've been hearing a lot about. Um, you know, stocks have been dropping pretty pretty rapidly as as of late, um, and this this has kind of resulted in in a lot of skeptics of of specific technology companies um, kind of saying that this is very similar to um, to two thousand the, de- the 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 dot com bubble where tons of businesses are crashing, falling to zero, um, doing you know basically just becoming worthless. Um, And really, if, if, if we're looking at this right here, which is the profit margin for the tech sector as a whole, that is not the case at all, because really the stark difference between 2000 rate, which is about right here, and 2021, which is right over here, is that the profit margins for the tech industry at large have skyrocketed. We're seeing down here. This is this is in 99 2000. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to move it all the way over here, but they're at about maybe nine or ten percent operating profit margins. Now, if we look to 2021, they're almost near 25 percent. You know, this is a 150% increase, more than a double in profit margins. And that really shows the the strength, the durability of the, the businesses in the tech sector at this age. These are not, you know, the pets.coms of the world. These are high quality businesses that are producing strong profit margins they're able to you know build an actual business that is generating impressive profit at almost 25 percent profit margins and that's that's really one I what I wanted to illustrate here you know uh, going back to what I originally said a lot of people are kind of saying that hey this is a bubble tech, tech stocks are are too highly valued they're going to go to zero um, and while you know s- stocks might be highly valued I I I'm not going to speculate on that. I will say that going to zero and seeing—they're <coughs> not. <the> kind of <laughs> I'll talk about that in a second. They're not. Um, the the probability of some of these companies simply going away and becoming worthless—that's an extremely flawed mentality. And so while we might see you know a twenty percent decline because of valuation or something like that. Um, it is by no means going to be at the grand scale of, of, the, of the dot-com boom in, in 99, 2000, 2001, simply because the businesses right now that are existing and, and public, publicly traded right now are so much higher quality. Um, Connor, do you, have, do you have anything to add on that?
0: Yeah, you know what the difference between now and the bubble in, in late 90s, early 2000s is? Um, S&P 500 was trading at a PE of 46 at the peak in, in S and s&p 500 is trading at a pe of 24 right now um i assume the nasdaq was was trading at a, at a much higher multiple back in 2001 than it is today and you also have like think about what was going on uh in 2001 you had tech businesses that were started in garages with no revenue uh no profits trading for 100 million million dollar valuations potentially more in some cases you had ipos you know, out the ass, coming out all the time. And a a lot of these companies weren't true businesses. And today you have the companies in these indexes, uh, indices, and they're continuing to grow earnings. Uh, You look at the S&P 500 earnings were up in 2021. Um, They're expected to be up again in 2022. I would be very, very surprised if they're not, especially when we're looking at their margins. Uh, Businesses are not hurting. Uh, that's that's what a lot of people that's what a lot of people don't understand is I I think they get some tunnel vision and um, they see some of these higher costs and they they're hurting so they think the economy is is struggling and the economy might be struggling uh, at least on a, on a personal basis but businesses are part of that economy and businesses are thriving and a lot of them are trading at some valuations that are pretty incredible Shopify is a, is a name that I want to mention, uh, an incredibly high quality business, uh, that I, I guess we can, do you want to shift into uh, talking about
1: e-commerce companies? Yeah, let's, let's definitely do that. I mean, and just, just quickly, we have companies like Shopify right now. The, the only strong e-commerce business that is, you know, that was even seeing these kinds of levels of success that Shopify had in, in 2000, in 2000 was Amazon. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to compare amazon and shopify and say that shopify is going to be the size of amazon um but i wouldn't be surprised not neither surprised. neither would i to be fair neither would i to be fair um but but what i'm saying is that shopify is a high quality business its valuation might be might be somewhat somewhat high but it has the financials it has the growth it has the free cash flow and the return on invested capital um to back it up and the companies that that you know were part of the the dot-com crash simply did it
0: yeah, didn't at all. So let's move on to talking about um, my blog post this morning. Again, you can go check out my post on interninvesting.com. Uh, click on our Coffee Chat blog, and we've got a variety of posts up there. I'm trying to post more, uh, but this is something I just I just put together this morning. So the basis of this article was trying to find the highest quality e-commerce business. And by highest quality, I don't mean the best business to invest in, it doesn't mean that it's the, it's the e-commerce business that I would want to own shares in. It just means the highest quality business financially. Uh, and there's, there's one metric that I threw in there. So, so I used a variety of different metrics. So I picked four businesses that are extremely popular in the e-commerce space and they're all very different. Um, so the four businesses were Amazon, Shopify, Mercado Libre, and Alibaba. And I chose these four because they've been public for at least five years. They all are profitable and all have serious market share in their respective industries. And so you have Mercado Libre with a ton of market share uh, in South America. Um, you have Alibaba it's China. You have Shopify, which has got kind of the small, biz- small, medium-sized business market locked up. You've got Amazon, pretty much locking everywhere. up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's everywhere, pr- primarily in the United States. Believe it or not, I actually heard that. Um, Alibaba has had more success with international uh in internationally than than Amazon has had which is interesting to me. So Amazon's kind of struggled there. But I tried to when I was comparing all of these companies I I I chose some metrics that all are um You know, they're all they're all easy to compare. All these businesses. So if we were looking at total revenue and trying to determine what a quality business is from total revenue, well, we'd look at Amazon and be like, okay, Amazon it is. You know, but but that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to find the highest quality uh, business financially out of these four. And so I I looked at a few things. Um, I looked how revenue translates into free cash flow because that's the importance of revenue. If a business can continue to grow revenue. That's great, but how does that translate into free cash flow? And the reason that free cash flow is so important is because it can be used in one of four ways. It can be used to pay dividends. It can be used uh, to, to potentially acquire a business, but I'm not including acquiring businesses in this. I'm actually taking that out to find my free cash flow and free cash flow margins uh, at the beginning. Um, so I took out that acquisition but you can put it on the balance sheet, you can pay dividends, you can pay down debt, and you can buy back shares. Uh, and by putting it on the balance sheet, you're increasing the book value. So by taking out the acquisition part of free cash flow uses, you are, you are only giving free cash flow four uses, and all four benefit you as a shareholder. They benefit the business. They either increase the book value or they are basically paying you as a shareholder um so those are those are the four um uses of free cash flow that i'm using so i'm looking at free cash flow margins because i understand um that not every business is producing the same level of free cash flow although it might surprise you that amazon is last on this list in in free cash flow produced so i also want to talk about how revenue translates to return on invested capital and return on invested capital is basically the money um that they are getting uh return on equity is another one to look at uh so so return on invested capital is the money that they are getting uh, and what they are doing with it how are they investing that money is it is it um are they using that money well in order to grow and so that's just a it's it's an interesting metric to look at because a lot of times you can see more from the numbers than you can from looking at looking through 10ks looking through quarters and trying to determine what is a competitive advantage um you know, network effects, a variety of other things that, that you can look at to try to determine that. But a lot of times the numbers speak louder than the words and ROIC is, is definitely a metric uh, that you should be looking at. So I looked at those and I also included, is this company founder led? And the reason that I included that is because founder led businesses have outperformed um, that that there's this chat, there's this chart in the blog, can't pull it up at the moment. Um, but it's talking about how important, uh, founder led or founders are to businesses. And this is for a variety of reasons, including, um, just like the, the purpose behind the business. If you have somebody, if, if you think about a business, Oh, Jamie's got it pulled up. Um, this is the chart right here showing how founder-led companies have outperformed others from 1990 to 2014. I assume it's continued after that, uh, but the chart doesn't show it. This is from Harvard Business Review. So, um, but but what I'm saying is if you start a business, you're a founder, this this business is like your child. You feel a purpose, you feel a drive to make it grow. Um, and instead of being complacent, you know, like if, if you get a new CEO of Hewlett-Packard, And Hewlett Packard pays their CEO, I'm sure, an exorbitant amount of money. Um, And all that CEO has to do to put money in his pocket is not screw things up. And that that kind of disincentivizes taking risks. And so the reason that I like founder-led businesses is because yes, they probably have a higher chance of failing, but they also have a much higher chance of growing a lot faster than than some of these legacy businesses like HP or Cisco Systems. And so I included that as one of my metrics. Um, and I also, uh, what else did I, I? I included free cash flow growth over five years. What's the, what's the free cash flow Kager over the last five years? Um, determine that and and then all of that to find just a short brief answer of what potentially might be the highest quality e-commerce company. So what I found from this is, um, let me go ahead and share this real quick. So when I was when I was looking at all this, I was kind of surprised uh, by, by what I found. I was very surprised. I, I guess I hadn't really looked at Amazon, uh, their financials much, because I didn't think it was anything to worry about. And I don't think it is anything to worry about, but they're not as good as I thought they would be. So free cash flow margins. Alibaba, 24%. Very, very strong, especially in this space. Amazon, they have negative free cash flow margins. And I will say that if you were to segment out Amazon's e-commerce business, I would expect their free cash flow margins to be positive. But this includes AWS. And Amazon is pouring money into AWS, rightfully so, in my opinion, uh, because that business is growing like crazy it's um, it's a major piece of Amazon. It potentially could split off into a new business by itself, which would be very rewarding uh, for, for shareholders. Um, but moving on, Mercado Libre five percent free cash flow margins, relatively small, uh, and Shopify nine percent. It's okay. So looking at ROIC, Alibaba. 5.4%, Amazon 21.3%, very very strong for Amazon. Mercado Libre 2.8%, and Shopify 27%. I saw that and, and got pretty excited. Uh, any times those numbers get close to 30%, it, it really shows some some strength there. All these businesses, all these businesses are, are founder led. Um, Jeff, Be- you, you, you know, you might think Jeff Bezos isn't CEO anymore, but he still has a major role in that company. I would consider him still leading that business. And then looking at the free cash flow five year Kager, you have Alibaba 15%. Uh, Amazon is negative, obviously, because they have negative free cash flow this year. They used to be positive. Uh, Mercado Libre is at 3.6%, and Shopify is at 91%. So by looking at all these numbers, I would look at Alibaba and say overall, This is a pretty strong, steady business. You've got 15% free cash flow Kager, over the past five years, strong free cash flow margins, decent ROIC. Um, But if you look down at Shopify uh, and also thinking about Alibaba too, there's such a big risk with Chinese companies. I don't invest in Chinese companies. And the reason that I don't invest in Chinese companies is because there's a significant risk of delisting. And the reason for that is that you have like Chinese businesses are kind of known for, you know, I guess getting around the sec, not being fully upfront, not being fully transparent. All their numbers aren't always correct. You look at a business like luck and coffee um, had a lot of problems with luck and coffees, financial statements that they were just hiding some information. That company got delisted from the NASDAQ in 2020. And so I stay away from Chinese businesses because they're they're so focused on the Chinese government because the Chinese government is very overbearing uh, in, in the free enterprise or lack of free enterprise over in China. And so I just try to stay away from that. So after taking that into account, I think Shopify is the highest quality business uh, here financially in terms of free cash flow. Um, obviously, balance sheet plays a huge role. You look at Amazon's balance sheets, rock solid. Uh, absolutely rock solid, um, but if, if you're looking at free cash flow growth, free cash flow margins uh, and, and potential here, I, I really do think that that Shopify um, is a, is a great opportunity, and it's also just such a strong business right now. Um, you know these these numbers definitely definitely show
1: that. Yeah, I I 100% agree, and I mean honestly, seeing that that five year Kager for for Shopify was. Um, pretty, pretty surprising. I didn't, I didn't think, I'm sure it's off of a pretty small base because um, most Shopify, of it's from, most of it's from 2020 to in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Shopify hasn't been profitable for, for terribly um, long. Um, but really seeing such a strong growth rate, obviously 91% for the next five years probably won't, probably won't um, take, take place, but still even, even so um, that that is uh, um, immensely strong and as you mentioned uh, uh, straightforward it is the current best company it is not oh you know looking looking 5 years from now what might be the best company no it's it's the best company right now and it clearly we can see from from that in, in impressive return on invested capital of uh it was 28% 27 I believe 27% and it, Basically, for those of you who are unfamiliar, because for a long time, I didn't know what, you know, invested capital uh, ROIC actually meant. And it basically means for every $100 of invested capital Shopify makes, it would have $27 of net operating profit after tax or NOPAT. Um, so very, very profitable, um, for, for its invested capital. And if, if that can continue or even maintain over the next five, 10 years, um, you know, as, as that company continues to generate gobs of cash, um, it, that's really going to just exponentially, um, in, in improve And very, very excited as, as a shareholder. Um, but you know, definitely, it's definitely clear that, um, Shopify is a leading e-commerce company right now, if not the, the best. Yeah. Jamie Zane and I
0: all bought Shopify on the same day, or maybe it was the same like week or so. Um, they were down what, like 30% after they reported earnings. And it was because that they expected slightly slower growth in 2022. Um, and, and a lot of times when you see overreactions like that, just, I mean, it's a great buying opportunity. And I haven't looked at Shopify stock price since I bought it. I don't know if I'm up or down. I assume I bought it around you. So, um, but it's, it's a company that I'm going to continue to add to
1: for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're down a little bit. I believe we bought it around like seven, 800, somewhere around there. And I think yeah. it's trading in the, in the six hundreds um, now, but n- nonetheless, it doesn't matter that we are down over what three months or something yeah. like that. Connor um, we're, not, not focused on, on one, two, three quarters. We're focused on you know, 10, 20, 30 years.
0: Yep, exactly. It's a lot easier to be a long-term investor than a trader. Um, I wanted to talk about a show. I, I told you about this show. I, I think I texted you about this a couple of weeks ago. And the show is We Crashed. It's a story of WeWork. Mm-hmm. Absolutely phenomenal. For everybody watching and listening, go check this show out. It's on Apple TV. Yes, it's five bucks a month. P- spend the five dollars. You, you know, when this when this show is fully out, you'll binge the thing in like two weeks anyway. And it'll cost five dollars to watch the show. Um, but it's about the founder of WeWork, Adam Newman, and his wife, and they 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 start WeWork, and he's this visionary, and you're watching the show. And you think a lot of it is kind of dramatized and or dramatized and and often that is with shows. And then I started listening to this podcast, and it's we crashed as well. The show is based off of the podcast. And it's very, very similar. Like the 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 story on the podcast with excerpts from when Adam Newman was speaking at colleges and, and and conferences. He was that visionary guy, and the show, I think portrayed that that really, really well, and his wife was kind of crazy. um you know, she tried to be uh, I guess she was pushing him to his limits, uh, like Adam, we need to grow this business faster. We need to grow it faster. And so he was so focused on growth that eventually as the name of the show goes, I the episode hasn't come out yet when they have crashed, but it's coming soon. Um, the business fails. And I guess the one lesson I've, I've taken away from this show is you can find a visionary founder and you can look at managements of companies. Um, and a lot of times they're great people. They're great people with strong visions, great leadership. But if you become way too focused on growth in terms of the top line, without worrying about the bottom line, um, you can run into some problems. And so it, it also showed me too, like he wasn't all that different from a lot of the other visionaries like Jeff Bezos and and, and Steve Jobs. Like these guys were a little unhinged, a little crazy, um, very, very focused on growth. And so I think if he potentially got some more funding, um, they could have succeeded. But... I don't know if that would have ever happened. They may have just run all of that that funding into the ground um, and continued to run out of it. But Jamie, you got to check the show out. I probably just gave away way too much. Um,
1: So, it it, the the story of WeWork did happen before our eyes. So I don't think you could have gave away much. That's true. Um. That is true. no we we work is is such an interesting story i don't want to belabor this point because you know we work is notoriously you know in, in, in infamous um but i mean I, I was not personally um, too, too focused on, on investing during, during WeWork, but um, I, I have looked at the story, looked at the business, um, you know, in looking back at it in the past. And, and, and I've noticed a few things, and they remain pretty prevalent in, in how I look at companies um, right now. The first is that, and this connects very well back to, to your uh, article on e commerce, uh, Connor words can be amazing. But you really need to show the financials to back it up. It is, for me, when I am looking at a company with a clearly visionary founder or, you know, a potentially innovative business, um, I love the story. Don't get me wrong. I do love the story. But I always remind myself to look at the financials and make sure the financials actually back up what the company is saying. And we were used a particularly obscure metric called community-adjusted EBITDA. Do I know what that means? No. Do I know it is full of crap? 100%. Um, and that that Can you kind be of, adjusted? I didn't know that. Oh you my did. God. And that that metric. Now, adjust, even if we're cutting out the community and moving towards something that, that is more prevalent among among um, you know public companies right now, which is adjusted EBITDA. That is something I do not pay attention to at all. Um, un- unless I am forced to by somebody I will talk about it, but it is not something that I personally pay attention to. I almost always look at Gap um, results, and mm-hmm. that is solely because, like WeWork, they were able to use adjusted EBITDA and the word community to basically finagle their way to profitability. And by the way, Connor, they were community adjusted EBITDA profitable. Um, of I course just they to- were. Of course they were. Um, You just take out all the,
0: you just adjust
1: it to take out all the expenses and you're profitable. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that, I mean, we're, we're joking here, but it really, um, you know, kind of says, you know, it, it tells me a lot about a company when they are taking so many things out to say, Hey, if you exclude all of these things, we're profitable. Hey, look at that. And that is just smoke and mirrors for me. That is not something that I've paid attention to because some, uh, you know, a company like WeWork has demonstrated clearly that you can be adjusted EBITDA profitable or community adjusted EBITDA profitable or what have you um, and still not have a strong financial picture to back it up. To me, um, adjusted EBITDA is um, those words. And while I love the words, while it shows me a general image of where um, the, the company is, or at least wants to go, um, the financials have to be there to back up that kind of company
0: yeah agreed agreed um, you can find some of the best speakers in the world some of the best visionaries they can come in and make you believe anything I, I guess salesman is a good way to put it you can find the best salesmen in the world that can give their pitch they can get investors on board um, but if they don't have progress towards profitability and I've become I've noticed that I've become increasingly, shy of investing in non-profitable businesses. And it doesn't mean that I won't invest in, in non-profitable businesses, but I'm, I'm like, I just don't look into them as much. Like if I see a business that's not profitable, I'm not super intrigued. A lot of times there's, there's really interesting stories, a really interesting mission behind them. And, you know, again, every great business was not, not profitable at one point. Um, but I like to see progress to profitability, at least at the very minimum. Now, sometimes that's hard to see because businesses will continue to run at a, at a higher and higher net loss until all of a sudden, one quarter, they just pop up with profitability. So it's not always something that you see progress uh, to break even. You know, it's, it's something that happens suddenly. But I don't know, it's just... There's there's a lot of the chances of failing when you're I guess when you're fishing in the pond of profitable companies, you're fishing in a stacked pond. Um of businesses that will succeed much more likely or they'll they probably higher will succeed. Yes. That you're you're fishing you're fishing in a pond of higher quality businesses. And so um it's definitely definitely where I where I'm kind of moving as an investor.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree to to some extent. I um, personally net losses are not something that I worry about um, terribly, but free cash flow. And you you explained all of the benefits and why free cash flow is one of the most important metrics for any company. Um, I am a very big stickler on on free cash flow. I think that there is one company that is coming off the top of my head. Um, in my portfolio of 55 stocks, that is not free cash flow positive. Now, I could I could be wrong on that, but my point is, um, free cash flow is one of the most important metrics that I look at. And for the for the same same reason as as Connor mentioned, if you're looking at companies that are free cash flow positive, generating tons of free cash flow in a, in a high free cash flow margin, um, and they're growing it at a strong rate, uh, for example, a five year CAGR. Um, you you are investing in a a pond of high quality stocks. You are fishing in a stocked pond, and that's why I look at at um, free cash flow so closely.
0: Yeah, a lot of the times when you see um, when you see companies running at a net loss but they're free cash flow positive, a lot of times I'll see something like high stock based compensation. You know, Obviously, that's not a cash expense on the income statement, but it is something that dilutes shareholders. And so they're, they're just issuing shares to management. Um, so I, I don't like to see that either. So a lot of times you'll see businesses that, yes, they're free cash flow positive. They have a net loss, but some of the things that they're doing, I'm not a big fan of. Um, so... Obviously, there there's two sides to this, um, Jamie. You might lean more towards being lenient on there, and honestly, if you looked at my portfolio, I'd probably be on your side. It's it, these are words. Um, you, I, I guess you know trying to do do what I say or do do what I do, not what I say. Um, and, and my portfolio kind of leans leans on your side, Jamie.
1: Yeah, I mean. I, I wish that all of my companies didn't dish out stock-based compensation at egregious levels. That would be amazing. Yeah, of course it would. Um, I, that, that is a no-brainer. At the same time, um, there, there are companies that kind of have to dish out Um, and and provide very lucrative and um, appealing stock-based compensation awards for employees. And a a great example that is just top of mind for me is Atlassian. It is in a very competitive space in the team collaboration industry and the IT service management industry. Um, And therefore, it has to have the best innovation, which will attract the uh, the, the, the most amount of customers and gain market share. We have to get, go back to all the way the first the first bullet. How do they innovate so much better than their competitors by having the best developers work there at the company? They truly have to have the best um, the the best developers in the world work at that company, and they can do that by having an amazing culture and dishing out you know nice a, a, a nice paycheck. Um, they have both, and so far we have seen amazing success there. Um, so. Yes, I, I agree that that stock-based compensation is not something that I like to see as an investor because it is diluting shareholders like myself. Um, however, I do kind of see it as a necessary evil, which is why I'm slightly more lenient on it than I think you are, Connor.
0: Definitely. Well, I think that concludes everything today, unless you've got anything else we should we should talk about. All good? Um,
1: no, I, I think I'm all set. Um, Awesome. Yeah. Oh, quick, quick plug to Brian for Roldy's book. Um, Why does the stock market go up? I I pre-ordered it the first day it was available. It arrived at my house um, yesterday. I'm in college right now. So uh, I didn't bring it to to my college because I don't necessarily have time to read it, but I'm going home for Easter and um, I'm going to read it. I am almost positive. It is a phenomenal book. Go out and order it. It it is amazing by a, a very smart guy.
0: Yeah. Brian Feraldi is one of the best. Definitely go check that out. I'm going to have to get a copy myself and read through it. So, um, well, awesome. Thank you guys for for tuning into this episode. Um, That was was a great conversation, Jamie, and we will see you next time. Hopefully we'll get some more content out this week on um, some specific stocks. So hope to see you then. Bye. See you guys.